0: Hey guys, good morning. Glad you're here. Go ahead and continue to eat and we're going to get rolling here. And uh, sorry to have to push pause on the conversations. The goal will be to have some time at the end as well to pray. You guys can pray together as a table. But I want to highlight a couple things before we jump in here. Uh, at the table in the the lobby here, you'll see these flyers. And on the back is kind of a snapshot of what's happening with New Life Men. And I want to draw your attention here to fire teams. These are men's small groups. And these are groups of guys who are just being real intentional to walk together, to do life together, to grow together. And I'm sure many of you have heard the term fire teams, but what I wanted to do this morning, real quickly, is just have two of our different leaders come up and give a snapshot of what what's going on in their group in particular, just so you can kind of get a feel. So the first is Keith Mundy. Keith is leading a group. I've heard so many good stories about what's happening in his. He's saying, "I'll oh, stop it. So, Keith, why don't you take about a minute here and just give the guys kind of a, a picture of what happens in your fire
1: team. Are we wired? You're is on. on. Is it? Okay, yeah. good. I can't hear it myself. Maybe I need to stand over here something like that. Good morning, everybody. We've got probably eight or ten of the guys from our group that are here tonight. We meet every week on a Wednesday night. Our group is not necessarily focused on a Bible study because we feel like there's probably a lot of that going on, but it's men sharing and men being real, sharing their hearts, and then we spend time in prayer every week. We've seen God do a really tremendous work in a lot of different ways in a lot of different lives, and guys come in and they're very real about the things that go on in their lives. You know, we're struggling in our marriage, finances. I'm struggling with purity and porn. I'm struggling with direction in life and what God's saying to me or whatever. We've seen God heal bodies. We've seen God heal marriages and put guys back on their feet and take them from the point of putting a gun to their head to the point of being a leader in their family and being out there and being productive and working well and all of that kind of thing. So it's an exciting time just for men to be real men, sharing and fellowshipping and growing in some of those ways that you don't honestly have time to do at church, right? You know, we'd have a four-hour church service if we tried to do all of that. So it's just the extension of the body of Christ out to where men can be real and really see what God is doing. We're also really excited about this emphasis on the Holy Spirit and just it's creating an excitement in us to say, God's really about to do something in our midst, and we want to really get going with it. There you go. Go. All
0: right. Thanks, Keith. I've heard some really good stories coming out of his group. Uh, Anthony, if you want to come up real quick. Anthony is just starting a fire team, and so I wanted you to hear from somebody who, whose group has been going for a while, and then another leader who's just starting his. Anthony is actually, uh, you can probably tell by looking at him, this guy, is, he does Iron Mans for fun. That's his idea of fun. And uh, so you want to tell the guys a little bit about the group you're starting? Sure. Hello? Okay, there we go. My name's Anthony. How are you guys doing? So glad you guys all come today. So like you said, this is a new group. We're going to meet on Mondays. Actually, the first, week, the first Monday in February is going to be we're going to start our, our study, and then every other week after that. So our focus, really, there's, there's four or five of us right now. Our focus is going to be uh, on Multiply by Francis Chan. I don't know if anybody's read this book. This is about creating disciples. So, you know, us as, as men of God and leaders of our, our families, you know, that's what we're here to do. So we're going to actually delve deep into that. You know, we're going to sit around and talk and share with each other, too. But really, we're going to focus on this. And there's also a video series that goes along with this. So in the weeks that we don't meet, you can watch the, the 15, 20-minute videos that he put out, too, that go along with the book. It'll be a really great time. You know, I encourage you all... Uh, to come on out or at least join any fire team. Uh, ours is on Monday, and uh, i like to see you there. All right, yeah, so there's about 35 different uh, groups that are meeting. They meet on different days in different places. And so if you pick up one of these, you'll see the website. So newlifechurch.org men. Click on fire teams. It'll pull up a whole list of the groups. There's a picture of each leader and then a brief description of what the group is about, and then contact info. So we've tried to make it really easy for you guys to find the right group and really uh, get lodged in and grow together in the community of men. So, Okay, so Larry, Colin, and Michael, if you guys want to come up. uh, I'm pretty excited about uh, what these guys are going to share. And while they're coming up, I'll just kind of set the stage for uh, what what we're going to do this morning. Ah, there's the colonel. So I think older men are such a gift to the body of Christ. And for younger men, it's really up to us, uh, and and older men have a part in it too, to engage. But uh, it's up to us to be intentional to engage and learn from older men. I like to look at it uh, in terms of a trail. So if we're going to go hike a 14er, right, and if you've never hiked that particular 14er, one of the first things you're going to do is do some research on it. You're going to read. You're going to talk to some people who have been up that trail before. And think about that with life. There are men who are further along uh, in the journey of life. And it's crucial for us just to be real intentional, to ask good questions, to sit down, grab lunch, grab coffee, and, and learn from these guys. And so these, there are so many guys, even in this room, who could be up here and be sharing wisdom. These are three guys that, uh, that I've asked to come up and share. And I want to just ask them different questions. And then at the end, we're going to open, up, open it up for uh, some Q&A and give you an opportunity to ask a few questions uh, as well. And so uh, I want to encourage you this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of different things they say that probably will get you thinking. Uh, but look for the one big takeaway. Try to leave with one thing that you've heard that you're committed to say, okay, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something with that. I'm going to take that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act upon that. And so for all of us, let's, let's try to leave with the one big thing that we're going to uh, apply in, in each of our lives. And so I want to start just by uh, thanking you guys. You know, as a, as a younger man, I just had a birthday this week. I'm 36 now. And my wife pointed out, I know my wife pointed out that I have four new gray hairs that just came on the side. So I guess I'm in the gray hair club, fellas. How about that? (laughs) Larry said it'll happen faster than you think. So I want you guys just to introduce yourselves. Uh, Many of these guys already know you, but maybe give us just briefly the 30,000-foot view of your family, uh, your work career, your experience, and where you're at in this season of life. So we'll start with you, Colin. Well, thanks, Gabe. Before I do that, who drives the black Ford
2: F-150 that on the bumper sticker says Satan Sucks? Who is that? That's
0: Tim. Is back that you, there in Tim? Back.
2: Hey, man, I want you on my side, brother. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I just, uh, I'm not a guy who screams at the dark, but I do believe Satan sucks. Just to make, let's make it very clear here. He's also on the back sticker, he's got one of those symbols that show there's a blue star guy. Is that right, Tim? Yeah. Somebody in combat from the family. So. Hey, listen. I, I'm uh, Colin Willis. I'm just, uh, I'm just a guy that's in the fight, and that's why I like a guy to have a "Satan sucks" sticker on his truck. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm married to a wonderful woman, Carla, for 40 some years now. Uh, spent a lot of time in the military. Spent some time in business, and at age 60, decided to go to seminary, and I was. Became a pastor at New Life Church a few years ago with the honor of literally serving the people that still serve this great nation. And so I have just had this great opportunity to, to serve my life. And it's probably either because I am that or because, because I am serving, it's really shaping in me into something really different now. I have three kids. The great blessing in my family is that when my wife and I moved here, they all moved back here. So we get to see them a lot. Five grandchildren, and a, and a hound dog named Bendito, which seems which means blessing. But some days I'm not sure. This morning I wasn't sure it was a blessing. Put it that way. So Larry.
3: Larry Yonker, I'm uh, uh, been married over 40 years, 40 almost 42 years, and uh, to a wonderful woman. I have two, uh, two children and and three grandkids. Um, I've done a lot of things. Kind of early, did a lot of things in my early life. Came to Christ at, at 28. Um, gave my life to Christ, and my wife and I have really been uh, devoted uh, to him ever since. Uh, been at New Life Church for 29 years, uh, almost 29 years. It'll be 29 years this summer, and uh, I've uh, currently work at the Rescue Mission. I started that when I was 59 years old. I felt like uh, God was. I, I, 14 years in computer industry, uh, 10 years with Compassion International, 10 years consulting, and then uh, uh, now I'm starting my new career at uh, Springs Rescue Mission. I've been there six years. Uh, but uh, yeah, God's a blessing.
4: Michael Anthony, I am uh, married to Michelle Anthony. You may know her. She's the executive pastor of Family Ministries here. Overseas children and middle school and a variety of other ministries. We've been married about 29 years. Uh, for about 30 years, I've been a professor at Talbot Seminary. Out the uh, that's the Graduate School of uh, Theology for Biola University, out in California. We moved out here about uh, two and a half years ago. I am the Chief Operations Officer for Dream Centers, overseeing operations and development. Uh, still continue to teach uh, at seminaries around the country. Do that sort of on a part-time basis. Just got back last night from a week of teaching at Dallas Seminary, so I still have to teach still have my hands in the classroom. I've also got a consulting company by the name of Calibrate Global Consulting. We do a lot of consulting work with uh, nonprofits. That's me.
0: Well, three of these guys were just very humble there. Uh, I can tell you they all have very impressive uh, resumes, so to speak. They're not going to tell you about it, but it, it's certainly there. Uh, the things that they've accomplished and God has done through them uh, is extraordinary. But more importantly than that, what I've observed from these three men, they're each in their 60s, and they each have the fire that's still burning. The fire is still lit, and it's burning in each of their hearts. And so the first question I want to ask is, because life can, life can be brutal. Like, like you're saying, Satan sucks, right? And, and life can be brutal, and it's easy to end up in the ditch, and for that fire, that passion, that love for the Lord to be extinguished. And I know for a man in my 30s, when I'm in my 60s, I, I want the fire to be burning in my heart like it is in each of yours. And so just speak to that. What uh, I know each of you have had seasons that have been tough, that have been difficult. And what would you say? Share wisdom on, on persevering, maintaining that, that love for the Lord over the long haul. Uh,
2: I think... I'll just give you my quick experience on that. I was—I always, as I look back, kind of believe I was probably two-thirds of a believer. I—I I really understood the concept of my God, my Father. I understood and knew, tried to live the, a life that Jesus would want, but I never truly understood. This is nobody's fault, probably, but my own. This is. Not a reflection of the church I was raised in or my parents by any means, but it was about this thing, this person of the Holy Spirit. I'm a pretty simple guy. My philosophy of life is to try to just compress it to a the simplest thing you can, and execute it with violence. I, I, I'm not very complex, and I can't I can't live that way. And so, I define pretty much everything that I do by direction and thrust. Right. I just need direction in my life but i also need energy in the in the at the right time to do it well and so i go back to this point of the holy spirit this is where i get energy and thrust and i get direction i and when i begin to realize that and believe it and understand why god sent his one and only son and his son when he left said wait a minute I'm not, I'm not going to leave you with anything. There's no vacuum here. The terrorists cannot occupy that space. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. And when I began to believe that, and then another simple concept for me was I've read the Bible. I've learned it. But I never lived it. I mean, really lived it. Just recently I was going through, I was offended And typically, I would have put that person in a headlock, wrestled on the ground, just beat the snot out of them. That was my mode. But, But that's not what the Holy Spirit nudged me to do. And so I lived out in that very instance. It was just a simple one. I was telling my son about that. It's a very simple one. And while I say execute with violence, what I mean now is to execute with the passion of the Holy Spirit. So for me, it's truly this idea that there is a spirit that spirit's come to reside in me. That spirit's taken over my spirit. Lives inside of me. And when I listen to that, when I'm nudged by it, when I'm sometimes I'm kind of knocked around by it. To be honest with you, when that happens, that gives me both direction and thrust for life. So,
3: I would say that uh, I've tried to be real steady in my faith, uh, from a standpoint of, and and I think the two things, the two anchors that I would say are probably been there is one is I don't blame God for any of my pro- any of my issues. Uh, I've never blamed Him, and uh, two I I think you have to be a quick forgiver, and I think that this part of the stability uh, for my wife and I there's certain non-negotiables. Uh, the uh, divorce has never been an option for us, uh, uh, in good times and bads. Uh, that was never uh, that's never been on the table and never will be on the table. Uh, I think that those. Uh, being in groups, I, I'm I'm in three groups right now, and and uh, we've been in a group with Bob and Jennifer Peters and some uh, three other couples <clears throat> for 25 years. Uh, we've raised our kids together. Uh, we pray together uh, once a month, and and uh, that's been a that's part of the accountability that helps you uh, remember who created the problem in your life. Uh, is uh, your friends will remind you that probably. Uh, uh, probably need some course correction So anyway, I think that's what we've been for one another is kind of helping each other raise kids and helping each other Correct our, our course but staying steady and and uh, you know, we've been at new life through a lot uh, So 29 years and and our faith was never in man or never and still isn't our faith is in Christ and and he's our anchor
4: It's for me in terms of uh, keeping the the internal fires burning spiritually uh... i became a christian larry and i was talking in line i became a christian when i was about fifteen years old at a surf camp down in mexico i grew up in the sixties yes you know, pot smoking surfer long hair that whole the tail end of the hippie generation in, in california and uh... when i became a christian on, on that camp but right there at the beach uh, it was a pretty radical conversion it, it was the beginning of that jesus movement that was taking place and I got sucked into that. And so for my life, it was a very, very radical conversion experience. And I was so grateful for what God had done in my own life. I mean, I had experienced uh, some, some major upheaval within my own life because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life in terms of values and, and behaviors and activities and, and priorities. And, and I carried that with me. It, it was not hard to carry that wave with me into college and into grad school. Uh, but there is the temptation, you know, I mean, it's been 50, almost 50 years now since that time, how do you keep the fire burning? And for me, it was always staying in touch with the lost and, and, and realizing that there are still people out there uh, in the condition where I was at, at my point of conversion. And I've probably done over 100 short-term missions trips all over the world because I love to be around people. Who still don't know Jesus, and and when I see that conversion experience, it reminds me of my own, and I continue to be grateful for it. Uh, It's very easy to be insulated when you're when you're part of a church community, and in my case, part of a seminary community. And so, for the last ten years, when I taught at the seminary, I was a chaplain for the local police department, and so I got called out at all hours of the day and night. Uh, The motto was, if there's a body on the ground, the chaplain must be around. And, and so I, was, I got called out two, three, four in the morning on a regular basis for homicides and suicides and traffic fatalities and, and, and I did ride alongs every month with officers. And if you wanna see the underbelly of your society, go ride with a police officer because they get called into the, to the worst scenarios that, that happen in the wee hours of the morning while most of the city's asleep. And so I had a chance to stay connected to the lost, the needy. And, and that's always kind of kept that fire burning for me because it's a constant reminder of what Jesus did for me, and, and so I serve out of a heart of appreciation, and, and I love just to stay connected with the loss that way.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry, I know from talking to you earlier this week, you were saying, uh, what was it, 2008? You had a big transition with your business, and, and you said the key for you was to just set your face on God and literally cry out to him. Can you say more about that season for you and your response?
3: Yeah, and, and uh, I've had three different businesses, and, and all three have failed. Uh, 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 again, that's I don't blame God for any of those. Uh, but in 2008, when the kind of the market collapsed, we were actually doing really best year ever, and we'd probably been making some decisions even on things we did. I took a trip and spent and spent some money that... Well, the bottom fell out of our business, and so at that time, New Life had a prayer, morning, early morning prayer ministry right here, and uh, several of us that uh, were crying out to God, just just desperate for Him, uh, began to come here and pray for one another, and I formed a few friendships with some other guys in town that that they were losing their businesses too, and one of them was losing his home, and uh, it was just, uh, it, again, it was. It was, I think, in desperation. It was crying out to God. I think that was the the key thing was is, was not blaming him, but crying out for in desperation for him, uh, and surrendering uh, to his will. Just saying, you know, I, God, whatever you've got for me, if if, if it costs me everything, I'm not I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna serve you till the day I die. And so, uh, I think that was. And again, this this men's prayer thing in the morning was uh, was really a vital part of that.
0: Yeah, this might seem like an, kind of an interesting illustration, but when I think about that, what you're saying is instead of running from God and blaming him and saying, how dare you, I'm out, see ya, you ran to him. And again, I, this might be a little bit cheesy, but I, it's a picture in my mind is I had a bird that flew into my garage and it got stuck. And so it would fly from side to side and it would clank against this wall and fall And then get up and and fly to this side and clank and fall. And so I was trying to help this bird that was stuck in a bad spot. But every time I came close to it, bam, it would fly to the other side and hurt itself even worse. And that's a picture, I think, of what happens when we as men, we get stuck in a bad situation. And God wants to move close to us to help us, to set us free. But how easy is it to run from the very one who can actually help set us free From a a bad situation. So I love what you're saying. As as easy as it is to blame God when things go bad and to run away from Him, that's exactly when we need to cry out to Him and actually move close to His heart. Um, You guys each mentioned in your introduction your your marriage, and I know you guys, uh, by no means has it been easy, or uh, you guys don't have Nobody has a perfect marriage, but you guys really are intentional in your marriages and uh, for each of you in your role as a father. So speak to that. What have you learned over the years when it comes to being a faithful husband? What have you learned the hard way? What have you gotten right?
4: I, I'd probably have to say if I've learned anything recently, it's what an idiot I've been in, <laughs> in my marriage. Uh, I have always been kind of a high achiever type and uh, wanted to be sure that I, I led my family well uh, only to discover through a, a life crisis that I had a few years ago where uh, my career just bottomed out. And I went through a, a real dark season for a couple of years, and what St. John of the Cross would define as a dark night of the soul where you just are at that point where you're not hearing God speak. You feel like there's just nothing there. You're talking to a wall. And uh, for this old seminary professor to hit that spot, and, and at the beginning of that time, my wife sat me down, and she goes, unless you change what you're doing in ministry, I'm out of here. This isn't working for me. Now, that was a big wake-up call for me, and that was uh, one of those times where I just thought, my gosh, has it come to that, where my ministry has become my mistress, and and I threw myself into my activities so much that uh, it, it took a couple of years of near unemployment and pretty significant emotional distress to get to that point where you are so thoroughly bottomed out and then you begin to rebuild slowly in time. And I uh, remember uh, not too long ago, uh, about a year ago now, Michelle sat down, she goes, I like you again. Uh, I, I wanna be married to that guy that I that I first met, you know, 20 some odd years ago, I want him back. And uh, it was my own pride, it was my own ego, it was my own drivenness to succeed that had caused uh, that, that, that significant gap in insulation in our marriage that uh, had to be stripped away. Uh, now I'd have to say unequivocally the, the best years of our marriage. Uh, 29 years into it, the very, very best. I wouldn't trade this season for anything. Uh, but, boy, I tell you, there's been some rocky days in between. And it's my own fault uh, for allowing that to happen.
0: Yeah, you're naming something that's so real. You said it's easy for a man to make ministry his mistress, but can, that can be said about business. Any any work can become a mistress. So thanks for your honesty. How about for the two of you? What would you say?
2: Um, I think well, a couple things. One is um, I am who I am. I believe, in part, if not whole, is because Carla prayed for me. My, My wife is a prayer warrior, and. I was, I was lost. I mean, I, I was floating, let me put it that way. I, I'm a prideful guy. She was trying to break through all of that. And I was wrestling with the Lord one day, and, I, and the Lord, I, and I remember this. this was pri- I was getting ready to go on a deployment. And I was really wrestling with the Lord on all of this. And finally, the Lord, and I was trying to figure out how do you, this, you know, how do you figure this life thing out and what this thing called love and all that. And he said, I'll simplify it for you there, knucklehead. (laughs) Simple plan, he knows that, so he makes it simple for me. He said, I'll tell you what to do. I want you to love Carla like you love me. Show me how much you love me simply by how much you love Carla. Now, I'm not sure if that's theologically sound. (laughs) Is it? I don't know. I'm just telling you, that's what he told me to do. And, I, and so I always remember that, to the point where I remember going on deployment. This is a little Bible I'd take, and I'd put Carla's picture in the front for two reasons. When I read the Bible, guess who I'd get to see? right? And, and when I wanted to see her, guess where I'd go, to the Word of God. And it was a big deal for me then, and that became merged to the point. That's what drew me. And I think God was saying, she's prayed so hard for you over these years and man, we had some up times and some downtime. We had some, you know, all of those things. We've been, we went through all that. We decided early on we'd fight fair. I wish I could say I did that all my time. <laughs> you know, I didn't. But in the end, we were kind of the same way. It was we made a de- the big decision up front that this was going to be forever, and uh, and so thank god and thank god for all that he's breathed into that marriage it's it's still alive so that's good
3: i think there's uh in 42 years uh, there's uh i would say probably 60 40 60 percent kim and 40 percent me as far as what we've really invested in each other and again i too had uh i think one of the things even when i first came to christ one of the roles and responsibilities of men and women was uh was uh, a, a literal thing to me. Was I was the provider. I was uh, I was supposed to provide for my family. So I've always had a pretty good work ethic what my dad taught me. Uh, so I was. I'd work hard. Uh, but again, I would devote myself to that work. Sometimes because I'm not all that smart, and so I would. Uh, I'd have to work harder than than some. Uh, I I've, I've, I've struggled with ADD and so attention deficit. Uh, they didn't. Know, they didn't diagnose it back then. They just. Uh, uh, if you played football they just pushed you through school uh, so uh, so that was pretty much how I got through uh, how I got to college was was uh, just being a, a, a fairly decent football player but I would say that that again the the, the uncompromising we weren't going to uh, divorce was never an option we lived through dry times uh, when uh, we were most of those caused by again my mistress of my of my work and and devotion to that, and I felt like I felt oftentimes justified by it because that was my responsibility, uh, was to do that. And so sometimes I had to work two jobs, especially in my early days. And so um, I think my wife respect, respects me for that and probably uh, honors me for the fact that I've never let our family suffer or struggle with anything. I've always been out there willing to do whatever it took. If I had to flip burgers, I'd flip burgers. I, uh, there, was no, there was no pride in what I had to do to provide for my family. So I think that's probably uh, one thing and, and now as uh, Mike said, uh, this is probably the the highlight of our uh, marriage uh, right now we're uh, we're in a really wonderful time where we're enjoying our grandkids and and uh, just enjoying this, this this stage of life uh, so uh, I just think you've got to be devoted to one another and you've got to fight uh, through the problems together
0: So how many of you guys have? kids who are still in the house raise your hand if you still have kids in the house so quite a few of you now how many of you have kids adult kids who are out of the house okay wow that's almost uh, 50 50 here so speak to that dynamic what would you say to first of all the men who have kids who are still in the house regarding how to father well and take advantage of that opportunity and then speak to the men who have uh, adult kids who are out of the house and And how to do that well, because that comes with a whole different set of challenges.
4: Yeah, for those of you who still have kids in the house, hang on. The best years are yet to come. Uh, Empty nesting is great. I mean, really, really good. And and, and my wife and I sort of lament of of all the couples that, you know, they, they blow their marriage apart before the best years, you know, they get to enjoy it, which is to get the kids launched out of the nest and off on their own, and then you get to spend time with your spouse who who hopefully you still love the way you loved when you first, you know, got married. Uh, but I, I tell you, man, those teen years are tough. Uh, I would definitely say those are tough years uh, because you're struggling with trying to get the kids and all their hormone swings that are going on. I had both a guy and a girl. So all those kinds of issues, uh, guys are pushing the limits as they try to form their identity Women, uh, young girls are kind of at the bondage of their hormone swings, and that's lighting fuses, and then you're also parenting your parents at the other end. It is a turbulent time, and you, you really need other couples in your life. Like Laurie was saying, is we've got couples that we have had in our lives since we were married, and all through that time, we did life together. And you really, really need that where you are together on a regular basis. Misery loves company. So other Christian couples who are going through those trials to share with one another, to support and encourage each other, to pray for each other, you can't do it alone. You will implode. Uh, You really need to get into some groups, some community fellowships, something that uh, works for both of you uh, to help you get through those seasons. But uh, now that you're there, parenting adult kids, uh, it still costs a fair amount of money. Uh, but it's worth it because now you're relating to them as adults. My daughter's working on her PhD at Oklahoma State. My son's working on his master's up at Washington State. Uh, it is so exciting to see them walking with Jesus and, and to know that, boy, we must have we done something right if they're still appropriating those values when they don't have to. And, boy, that's, that's the measure of good parenting is when your kids are still walking with Jesus as adults.
3: Yeah, I think that uh, we were married 10 years before we, uh, both of our kids are, are adopted, so I, I we fundamentally believe that c- children are a gift from God, and God doesn't have grandkids, uh, so he lets us steward those gifts, and, and so I've always seen fathering as a stewardship issue of stewarding their lives, and uh, I still, I have an adult son who still lives in, at home. Uh, he's, probably almost sometimes almost as big a goofball as I am and and made some bad decisions and and in, in his life but I still feel really close uh to Luke and I feel like I feel like I'm it's my responsibility to steward this stage of his life to be a to be there for him and to be uh, the, uh, the dad who loves him unconditionally and man I tell you unconditional love when when you when you're in tough times that's when you really realize what that means because uh, it's it's kind of easy to love uh People that are love, lovely, but when people aren't lovely, that's when you get tested on, do you, can you really walk in unconditional love?
2: That's really good, Larry. Is this on? Okay. I think uh, for those that still have children at home, uh, I, I would say this, the best thing you can do is love your wife. Show just an incredible, unconditional love for your wife. That's a great example for raising, for raising those, I believe. Um, and not to make idols necessarily out of your kids you're a parent and there's a that's a that's a unique role that god's gifted us with um i encourage things like i see uh, dr ronnie hammers by the way hammers, he's back there sharpening his scalpel because he's going to do surgery on me in a few <laughs> weeks and he brought a son today okay come on now let's you, that's a great way to just share and to and to bring raise them in the and seeing great men of God around. That's a, that's a huge deal in my opinion. Uh, for those out of the house, you know the, the Bible talks about Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Uh, it's a simple prayer. And again, I, we execute with violence. I execute with passion. I pray, my kids are all out of the house now, daily, for their wisdom and their stature. It's a big deal to just continue... Uh, the Bible is full of, of this idea of wisdom, of wisdom, of wisdom, of wisdom. And I, I pray that for my kids. Like Larry said, some of them inherited my knuckleheadness, whatever that word is. They're bigger knuckleheads than me sometimes. And yet I continue just to pray. And I, prayer works. Pray over all of them regardless of the age.
0: Yeah, that's good. I'm going to ask you guys one more question, and then we'll open it up to some questions here. But one of the most common questions or topics of conversation that I'll get into with men if we sit down over a cup of coffee is they'll say, I've got this rumbling, this stirring in me regarding work. They're thankful for the job, and in a lot of cases the job is providing for the family, but they can't get rid of this deep stirring. And so they're wrestling with the question, am I doing what I need? i should be doing am i doing what god has called me to do or am i just have i missed it so what would you guys say because you've had each of you have different experiences with work and uh, different careers but what would you say to the guy who's sitting here this morning who has a job that's providing but he's got the stirring and and the question is is, is there more
3: i'll say one thing i think that uh, i've done a lot of jobs i hated uh and I think that again uh, i had a I was given a real strong my dad gave me a, his greatest gift to me was a work ethic really i i was re- I was required to work from the time I was a young kid uh, in some way because earning an income was not optional uh, and uh, I, I I said this at my dad's funeral I said, you know my dad always he was a Dutchman he always said, "You never ask anybody for anything and i said uh, little did he know that his son was going to grow up to be a fundraiser uh, <laughs> So, uh, well, I spend my life asking people for things, uh, but the uh, no, I think the, I think the key thing there uh, uh, is work hard. You owe you owe a good day's labor to the person who's who's giving you the job, and so, but never lose your dream. I I always knew, and I always was listening to God for God. What do you have for me? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to use my gifts? But I stayed employed. I stayed working at the jobs. And I think faithfulness and, and working hard for the people that, that were paying me a wage, I think, was what God used to give me the, thing, the dreams that I, I really needed and wanted. And I learned, every, I learned a lot in, in, in all those uh, jobs where I, that I didn't necessarily like. And, and now I'm at 59, I'm doing what I was made to do. And, uh, and that seems strange, but I, I know that God created me to do what I'm doing right now.
4: I've always been fortunate as well to to be in positions where I really feel a a deep sense of fulfillment, and this is what God created me to do. Uh, I had a good grasp of the gifts that God has given me, and I wanted to build a career and investing in, in the kingdom, and it was pretty good that I could also invest in the kingdom and earn a living doing it as well, sort of the best of both worlds, and I've always loved, loved doing what I've been able to do. Uh, but now as a, as a coach, I get called in uh, in my consulting company to coach uh, usually CEOs, people in the C-suites. And, and some of them are just deeply not happy with the life that they have in, in the, the current position. And my response is, life is, is too long to live in a job that you don't like doing. And yet it's too short to miss the opportunity. So if there's some way you could figure out, if you, if you need to stay in your job in order to you know, provide for your family, you're in your late 50s, it's difficult to make a career transition in your late 50s, then find something else to do to supplement what you're in. Like what I did at the university. Uh, I was a university administrator. I I moved myself into administrative positions, but it wasn't as fulfilling because I wasn't directly with the students as much as I used to be, which is why I went into teaching in the first place. When you move into administration, you you basically are managing budgets and schedules, but you're not face-to-face with as many people anymore, and so that's why I went into the chaplaincy. So I could be with the officers and, and rub shoulders with them, or perhaps be in the community and doing counseling for critical incidents. Uh, so I looked for creative way, and I was, that was a volunteer position. But it, but it fed a need in my life as well, which was to get into personal ministry and contact with people around me that didn't put my job in jeopardy. So if there's a position that you're in, you don't feel that you have the freedom to make your career transition, perhaps because of your age or other circumstances, then find something else. Find another way to scratch that itch. Uh, I I serve in the special needs department here. I've been doing that for about 18 months. Uh, That's something for me to be able to minister to, to, in this case, kids who have some pretty significant needs. Uh, Find ways beyond your career to scratch whatever that itch is that you have. There are other ways to do it.
2: Uh, I think I, I remember being in a small group and we studied. In fact, I think Steve Rannells may have been leading that. This is a long time ago and I fell into some great a group of, with some great men and we talked about uh, gifts. Deep down in my, I believe in the Bible this is biblical, that Work is in the soul of the man. It's in the soul. It's, it's who we are. It's it's not an, oh, by the way, and I better earn an hourly wage. It's deep in the soul. It has meaning deep, really deep into our value and our worth and lots of things, I believe. And, But God didn't just leave it there. God also gifted us. And in Romans 12, I believe, Rabbi, if that's true, I think it's in Romans 12 where... There are some defined motivational gifts. It's what motivates us. God gives us things that deeply motivate us. And it describes those in there. And if I, there are, there's, I don't know what, they are faith and prophecy, but one of those is teaching. One of those is leading. One may be serving, but those, those, that's not by accident. It's not a sidebar in conversation in the Bible. It has deep relevance to who we are. I believe when our work on earth, when we're doing with our hands and our mind and our feet, those things that are lined up with what motivates us in our design by God, we are there is a sense of joy and deep peace. It allows us to much, much more easily become fruitful. We're called to be fruitful and multiplied. We become fruitful when those things happen, I believe. Uh, and so... I think just doing a, a little study yourself, praying into this and asking, in that, what did God gift me with? And, is, and I am aligned in what I'm doing day to day. Now, it, notice, he doesn't say, I need you to be a, a mechanic. He didn't say be a soldier. He didn't say to be a businessman or a professor. or He didn't say any of that. It's very broad. It says, but here's what motivates you. Every one of you has something deep of God that motivates us that's really good isn't it and so when we're aligned with that in what we're doing day to day I believe that's when we be, we have that sense of of just fire for what we like to do now there will be times I think because of what happens on earth we may not be aligned with all that pray for it put your head down work through it maybe um, but I also want to encourage especially young people don't be afraid to take a risk do it calculated, pray over it, fast over it maybe, make it a big decision, you got it. Make the decision based on wisdom and discernment. Where do you find that? Yeah, just pray. Seek it out, and then, and then, when you do that, meet with some of these guys around here and have them confirm that that's what, that that's true, that it's time to move on, and this is a calculated decision uh, but, but awesome risk. Once you've done that, execute it with passion and violence.
0: Yeah, I think of the... i think I quit saying violence, sorry. <laughs> I think of the scripture, there, there's success in a multitude of counselors. And so what you're saying when it comes to taking a risk and wrestling through, do I step out, do I not step out, is this wisdom? Uh, you know, a fire team is actually a really good place to take that to guys and say, guys, this is what I'm wrestling with. Uh, speak into this. Giving other men opportunity to speak into some of those decisions is so huge. So before I forget real quickly, if you're here and you're leading a fire team, just stand up real quickly, would you please? Because I know we have some of our leaders who are here leading a fire team. So all of these guys are leading some of the fire teams. Yeah, thank you guys. They're good men. They're, they're really good men. And the Holy Spirit is alive and working in each of these groups in unique and dynamic ways. And so uh, I wanted to highlight that again, to check out these groups. Talk to one of these leaders uh, before you go and find out more about the different groups that are that are uh, happening. Okay, I, I want to take about 10 minutes and just open it up for questions and give you the opportunity. If you are listening this morning, if something kind of uh, stirred your curiosity or if you want to ask about something else. Yeah, Sean, you want to just stand up and just speak Speak up. Use your your man voice here. Can everybody hear the question? Do we need to? You can hear it. Okay.
3: I think two things from, uh, come to my mind when you say that is one is tough love, um, and one is unconditional love. And how do you do those? Well, I think one is unconditional love means without judgment. And so I think if you can if you can get, speak tough love to that person without judgment, without judging them for uh, for where they're at, but but be, but judgment of the act maybe, but not the person. Then I think that that's. Uh, and we've had an opportunity, and we've lost. Uh, we've had family members that have, we've tried to keep from getting divorced, and they've got divorced, and, and uh, you don't always see the, fr- the success, but, but I think we are expected to, to, to speak the truth in love.
4: Yeah, I would agree, too, with Larry. Uh, be yourself. You know, maintain your own core values. Be, you know, those aren't going to be compromised because of their situation. Be who God's called you to be as a couple, as individuals and, and love them through it unconditionally. Uh, he, with my kids, I had to give them the freedom to fail. Uh, once they hit to a, to adulthood, uh, they were out of the home, uh, they made some decisions, may not have been the wisest, but then who am I to judge? I've, I've made a bunch of bonehead decisions as well. And so you have to give them the freedom to fail and just pray your guts out that, that the Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts. If you, if you did a good job, By the time they get to their teen years, they know how to hear the Holy Spirit's voice. That is your number one job as a parent. Can they understand the Holy Spirit's voice? Because the Holy Spirit's with them wherever they go. And if they can hear the Holy Spirit's voice, the Holy Spirit will woo them back in his time. may not be your time, but at the end of the day, you don't have any control anyway. So if they hear the Holy Spirit speaking to them... In the midst of the crisis, the calamity that they go through, sometimes they've got to hit that wall. You've got to give them the freedom to hit the wall and then allow the Holy Spirit to slowly nudge them back. Because Isn't that how God deals with us? You know, we, we can deliberately and intentionally walk away, but thank God he loves us so much and he redeems us. And, and if we enjoy that experience, then, then we need to give them the freedom to go through that journey as well, as hard as it is for us.
0: That's a good question, Sean.
2: Pray, I, yeah. oh, I want to just say uh, one thing. Um, Tim, where did you get that bumper sticker that says Satan Sucks? <laughs> Sean, well, I think one of my answers would be go get one of those stickers. <laughs> and here's why I say that. We've been through this a little bit. There's two things what what um, Mike said is, is absolutely true here. It's a... a a praying in the power of the Holy Spirit that they'll nudge them in just the right way. So you're praying in this war. There's a war going on, right? It's, it's for the soul. Is, he gonna, is that person following the Lord or listening and following Satan? And I think two things are important. And, I, I, again, I, I go to the example of my wife. When, when, when we've been through this and there's been strain, I remember coming one morning and seeing my wife on her knees, literally crying crying out saying satan you cannot have my son you can declare that you can you absolutely can declare that in battle and go into prayer when you go into prayer when you're reading scripture when you're worshiping the lord and you're praying that over those those people the enemy goes silent he can't move he's stunned and that's a great thing i believe and so while I make fun of this thing about Satan sucks, I do believe we're in a war. And there are days when you've got to look in Satan in the eye and proclaim he can't have that person. You can't. You pray that over him. I believe that truly. And then you, then you pray, God, nudge him right now. Nudge her right now.
0: Take her. Lead her back. Draw her close. Just keep praying. Prayer works. Well, think. speaking of bumper stickers, how about uh, pray your guts out? Or a bumper sticker. That would be a good one. Any other questions? Okay. Yeah. Um, most of us are, in our young years, pretty selfish when we become independent and we like to go do our own thing. And then we get married and we have to figure out how to be less selfish. Um, we're, we're, we're expecting our first baby in April. And um, I know that I'm still dealing with selfishness. <laughs> Thank you. Thank um, you. And so how did you guys deal with maybe being all independent men, and, and most of us are, how did you deal with that through the coming of a child and having to balance all that out? One of the
3: greatest quotes I've ever heard was by uh, Ruth Graham, uh, Billy Graham's wife, and uh, they, she was interviewed, she said, what's it like being married to Billy Graham? And she said, oh, Barbara, uh, marriage is so daily. <laughs> uh so I think that the we're, I'm still selfish. I'm I'm uh, 65 years old, and I think that. But I think it's a. Again, it's that being desperate for God and, re, and crying out to Him when things aren't going right. Cry out to God, and again, prayer. Uh, pray through those things because if God's got the answer and God's got the peace.
4: Congratulations! You're about to enter one of the most enjoyable crazy seasons of your life. Now, I didn't get married till I was almost 35, so I knew a thing or two about selfishness uh, because I, I didn't want to slow down what I was doing ministry-wise and travel and, and opportunities that came my way. But a little bit different for me tempered-wise was by the time I did get married, I was ready to you know, put down some roots and start a family, which, which we did fairly soon. And uh, that really did radically alter a lot of things but see I had three seminary degrees and I thought I had to be the spiritual leader of the of the home I was going to be the high priest of the family and I acted more like Andy Cap you know the comic strip where it was my way or the highway because I'm the head of the home and it took a while for me to figure out my wife was a lot smarter than I was when it came to raising the kids if it was up to me my kids would have been raised by wolves in the in the forest Uh, my wife authored the book Spiritual Parenting, and we were at a conference together once, and I was sitting in the back of the room, and some man stood up, and she goes, he said, "Uh, Michelle, I've heard, you know, three days of you talking about spiritual parenting. How come your husband isn't up on the platform speaking with you? And she sort of snickered, and she said, honey, you want to speak to that? And and so he didn't know I was in the audience, and so I stood up in the back, I said, listen, I said, I was smart enough to realize that when it came to raising children, I did not know what I was doing. And so at some point, I just had to realize intuitively, my wife was a lot smarter raising the kids than I was. And so we raised them together. We prayed every day together. We were intently uh, committed to, to raising these two kids to know Jesus, but it wasn't formulaic. Each one was really different. And somehow my wife was just smarter at that than I was. I was smarter at other things. And I realized that didn't threaten my ego. And so when she came to me and she goes, Honey, I think that the way that you're hailing this, uh, here, have you considered this possibility? And I'd say, No way. And, and then I'd go for a drive to work, and the Holy Spirit would tap me on the shoulders like, You know what? She speaks some wisdom here. I gave her to you as, as a gift maybe you need to take advantage of the gifts that I've put in her. And so when I began to realize, doggone it, she really knows what she's talking about. Uh, and, and I let her speak into that, and in some cases lead when it came to some of those issues with the kids. Wow, our, our family life just took off and went good places. So I had to realize that I don't, I don't know everything. In fact, there was something, she was a whole lot smarter than I was. I just had to take a big bite of humble pie and say, thank you, Jesus, that you gave her to me. And, uh, and so don't be afraid to consult with your wife on some of those kinds of issues. She's probably smarter than you in some areas. And that's okay. That's okay. That's why you have a partnership.
2: I I apologize. I didn't... What's your name? Jason. Jason? Jason. Uh, can I pray for you? Would you guys mind just reaching out your hands over, over Jason. This is a big deal. Yeah, and maybe this is a, just a representative of things that are going on here, but one of the things we want to do always is pray into this. It's a big decision. There's a clash now between his self and his parenthood. He has to make a big decision on where he's going. Father, I thank you for this young man. I thank you for Jason, Lord. God, this is your son. He's uniquely made. You love him in a special way. You've gifted him now with another life, a son in his life, Lord, and you give him the title soon of dad. Father, you are the great father, you are the great dad, and so God, I ask, I ask, Lord, and I pray this, that you give Jason these unique gifts of fatherhood. You separate his, his selfishness from his servanthood, God. Teach him that he is a servant of you. He is, he is designed to protect and care and love for this young baby that's going to grow up in that family, Lord. He has done what you've asked him to do. He's being fruitful, multiplying. He's leading. He's doing what a husband does and now soon to what a dad does. Help him make this big decision, Lord, on exactly how to raise that young man. And, Father, help him to keep his... his uh, love for you in in that new birth that comes up and in that situation in the household. Bless it, give it favor in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, let's just let that just kind of launch us into a time of prayer. I, uh, I'd like to take 10 or 15 minutes just before we go, and some of you might have to go uh, uh, earlier, and that's fine. But you guys, each of you have different, unique circumstances in this season of life. Some of you might feel like you're in the ditch now. Some of you might feel like the bottom has just fallen out in your life. And uh, what a good opportunity for other guys to just stand with you and pray. Others of you might feel like, no, things are are going pretty good. Well, what's what's an area that somebody can just agree with you in prayer and cover you and prayer on. So before we go, it's us just, to, if you're able, take 10 or 15 minutes right at your tables and pray. But before we do that, can we just tell these guys thank you for being here and the wisdom that they shared. Then the last thing I want to highlight is, again, don't forget to take one of these. Uh, the, the prayer breakfast is not every month, and so the dates are on there. You can Plug that into your phone. Our next gathering is February 22nd. It's men's night out. Wednesday, February 22nd, we'll have a meal together. Pastor Larry Stocksteel is going to be here to speak to us. So that's going to be a really rich night. It's uh, February 22nd at uh, 6 o'clock for the next men's night out. So thanks. Yeah, so the question is, is the the first... uh, Tuesday. No, we're not. So what we want to do is have a monthly gathering, but it won't always be a breakfast. So in February, our monthly gathering will be men's night out. In March, our monthly gathering is going to be a men's kairos. That's going to be a really powerful day. And then in April, our monthly gathering is another breakfast on April 29th. So take a look at that and and plug those dates into your phone. So glad you guys were here. Would love for you to spend some time praying over one another and then have a great weekend.